Khalashing for Khalas? Want to buy or fine dine? Stay tuned to High FM on 101.9. Join Adrian Bugatti for SN Fresen Tuesday mornings from 11 a.m. where it's all about the food. Good morning and welcome. It's 11 o'clock on a Tuesday morning, so you must be listening to the SN Fresen show on High FM 101.9. I am your host, Adrian Bugatti. If you have any comments or suggestions, questions or topics that you think we should cover in the show, please let us know via Telegram on 061-895-1019. You can SMS us on 34519. SMSs are charged at 150. Or send us an email to onair at highfm.com. Coming up in today's show, I talk about some herbs, three new spices, and we look at also some new different cooking terms. So the spices I've chosen for today are cumin, curry leaf, and dill. And you'd be surprised how much there is about dill. The four cooking terms that I have found in recipes all over are saute, sear, char, and brown. I'm also sharing a slow cooker recipe that uses cumin and is budget-friendly. Then some news from the kosher department around the world and updates from everywhere for Pesach. So let's get started. Cumin, the first spice I'm talking about, is native to the Middle East and to India, which is why it is often used in Mediterranean dishes as well. Cumin seed is used as a spice for its distinctive flavor and aroma. You can find it in some cheeses. There's one called Leyden cheese. I've never had this, so if anybody knows what this is, please let us know and tell us what it tastes like. And in some traditional breads in France, you'll find cumin as one of the ingredients. It is also an ingredient in chili powder or Mexican-style um, spices. It's found in a blend called achiote, um, adobo, sofrito, garam masala, curry powder, and baharat. And it's used to flavor numerous commercial food products. In South Asian cooking, it's often combined with coriander seeds in a powder mixture called Dhanajira. Cumin can be used ground or as whole seeds, and it gives a warm, earthy, aromatic character to foods. So it is a staple in certain stews and soups, as well as spice gravies such as curry or chili. It is also used as an ingredient in pickles and pastries. Curry leaves is my second spice of choice. The fresh curry leaves are indispensable part of Indian cuisine and Indian traditional medicines. They're most widely used in southern and west coast Indian cooking, and they're usually fried at the same time as you would heat up your vegetable oil and when you add your mustard seed and your chopped onions for the first prepara- you know, part of the preparation to making a curry. The fresh leaves are valued as seasoning in the cuisines of South and Southeast Asia, and in Cambodia, where the leaves are called slukkontrop, the leaves are roasted and used as an ingredient in soup. So it's used in a lot of um, stews, especially great uh, um, stews made with poultry, goat meat, beef, mutton, various kinds of offal, fish and seafood, as well as vegetables such as cassava leaves unripe jackfruit and banana stem. And though it is dried, available dried, 
which is the one that most of us here in South Africa get to use. The aroma and flavor is not as strong or as flavorsome, I suppose you would call it, as the fresh leaf. It, it doesn't give the same strength to the cooking. And then this last one that I chose, I was quite surprised at how much there is about dill. I know dill from, you know, dill pickles and French cooking. That's the only place I knew it from. But as I did the research, we found a lot more uses. So dill is used fresh or dried, and it can also be used as dill weed. Um, you do use the seeds occasionally, but it's not very common. And dill is used all over Europe and Central Asia. It is, in fact, used pretty much anywhere you can think of. It appears to be one of the most widely used herbs in the world. So it very similar to caraway, the dill plant is very fern-like, has very fern-like leaves. They're aromatic and used to flavor so much food. Uh, well, so many recipes, should I say. Um, cured salmon and other fish dishes, borscht and some other soups as well, and obviously pickles. And this is sometimes where the flour of the dill is used is in these pickles. So, and obviously that's where the dill pickle got its name from. In Central and Eastern Europe and Scandinavia, the Baltic states, the Ukraine, Russia, it's a staple culinary herb. It is used everywhere. So, um, you'd be surprised. So, the, um, it's used along with chives and parsley. When freshly cut, the dull leaves are used as a topping for soups and things like that. But in hot red borscht and even the cold one, they use it when mixed with curds or yogurt or sour cream um, for the, the beetroot soup. The dull leaves are also mixed in with curd cheese. Now, curd cheese is actually kind of a type of um, cheese that's been allowed to sort of curdle. And it has a very pungent flavor. It's more of an acquired taste than something we all like. So it's very commonly used in um, sandwiches as a spread, the, the curd cheese with dill. Fresh dill leaves are used throughout the year as an ingredient in salads. So ordinary lettuce, cucumber, tomato, you know, a plain salad. And in fact, it's often used... So in we're in Italy or Greece, they would use basil leaves in everything. Dill will be used in Europe. In Russian cuisine, it is very, very commonly used. Um, and it's actually also used for winds. In fact, there's a story that says the Russian cosmonauts actually recommend it in human spaceflight because of the confined space and the closed air supply to reduce um, people having flatulence. So in Polish cuisine, fresh dill leaves are mixed with sour cream and are the basis for dressings. We're going to take a break now, and when we come back, we will continue talking about this amazing herb, dill. You're listening to the Essen Freshens Show on Chai FM 101.9. I'm Adrian Bugatti. Chalashing for chalas? Want to braai or fine dine? Stay tuned to High FM on 101.9. Join Adrian Bugatti for Essen Fresen, Tuesday mornings from 11 a.m., where it's all about the food.
Welcome back. I'm Adrian Bugatti and this is High FM 101.9. If you have any suggestions, um, questions or topics you think we should cover in the show, please let us know via Telegram on 061-895-1019. SMS us on 34519. SMSs are charged at 1 Rand 50. You can also email us to onair at chaifm.com. So we're going back to talking about dull and the myriad of uses and places that we will find dull used in cooking. So as I said before the break, in Polish cuisine, fresh dull leaves are mixed in with sour cream and often the basis of salad dressings. It's very popular to use this kind of sauce or salad dressing in a cucumber salad. Um, and basically the cucumber salad is um, cut cucumbers, like drowned in the sauce, and it's called miseria. It's cut cucumbers with sweet or sour cream um, and dill. The dill sauce can also be used in hot baked freshwater fish or for turkey or for chicken as a beautiful sauce. Um, you can even pour it over hard-boiled eggs. So a dill-based soup served with potatoes and hard-boiled eggs is very popular in Poland as well. And they use the whole stems, the roots, and flower buds um, to prepare pickles. Whole stems of dill are often cooked with potato and also some kinds of fish, especially trout and salmon. So we all know dill, you know, with salmon or dill with trout, very common. Once again, the dill is used everywhere. So we're moving on along Europe or along the Asian coasts uh, to the Czech Republic, and they do a white dill sauce made from cream, butter, flour, vinegar, and dill. And served with eggs, potatoes, or even dumplings and boiled beef. They also have a dill soup that is made with wild mushrooms and dill together. Dill is popular in Germany for seasoning fish and other dishes, um, which we all used. And in the UK, they use it in fish pie. I definitely need to find a recipe for this, as it's not something I've ever thought of putting together. In Bulgaria, the same as the rest of the Balkan states um, and the areas around there, you're going to find the dill used in salads, in yogurt-based cold soups. Um, it's also used in sour pickles, in cabbage and other dishes. Continuing down to uh, Romania, it's used also in borscht, um, in pickles, and in dishes based with peas, beans, and cabbage. And once again, found with potatoes and mushrooms. So it looks like everywhere where we come from, and that's why dill is such a prominent part of the old traditional Jewish cooking. So in the springtime, another use for dill is to add it into omelets with some spring onions. Um, and it is a beautiful sauce for that. In Hungary, also, it's used as a sauce or a filling for the cottage cheese. In Serbia, okay, um, that was the other thing when I was looking up all these recipes. It has, I don't know how many names that 
still is called by, in some countries, more than one name. So it was quite a, an interesting thing. But they use it in Serbia along with their French fries. So it's, um, and there's a Serbian, uh, proverb that says to be a dill in every soup. So that corresponds with the English proverb of to have a finger in every pie. So you can see how widespread that is. Um, in modern day in Greece, it's also used salads, soups, sauces, fish and vegetable dishes. Sweden has a different version of the white sauce, but this time it's not made with milk or cream. It's water, hot water, uh, white vinegar, but the vinegar is not made from grape or acetic acid. It's actually made from vodka with sugar and dill. And then you ferment your cucumbers for two months and they are ready to eat. That should be an interesting experiment for somebody to make. So, and they use it in salads, um, with other greens or instead of greens, but they use it with parsley, chives and basil. So it's used in Sweden to flavor seafood. Um, and it just, it's in everything you can eat. Um, that was the main thing. In Iran, dill is actually known as shevit, and it's sometimes used with rice. It's also known for in the Persia, in Persia, or what was Persia, as sheved. And in India, far too many names for me to use in this short segment. In the Middle East, in Arab countries, the dill seed is used as a spice in cold dishes such as fatouche and pickles. And in the Arab countries of the Persian Gulf, it's used mostly in fish dishes. In Egypt, dill weed is commonly used to flavor cabbage dishes. This includes our normal traditional stuffed cabbage leaves. In Israel, it's called shamir, and it's used to flavor omelets and salads. So, more than you ever wanted to know about dill. If you have any comments or suggestions, questions or topics you think we should cover in the show, please let us know via Telegram on 061-895-1019. can SMS us on 34519. SMSs are charged at 1 Rand 50 or you can send us an email to onair at chayfm.com. You are listening to Adrian Bugatti and this is the SM Freshman Show. So we're going to talk now about four cooking terms that you will find in plenty of recipes. I'm sure it won't take you long to find one in your next recipe search. And those terminology terms are saute, sear, brown, or char. Now, these are dry heat cooking methods, but they all have the basic principle as the same. And there's an actual chemical reaction to this method and that's called the Maillard reaction. And just like I thought, what was that? Well, all it is is a fancy term for the chemical reaction that browns food and gives it the exterior its that distinctive flavor. Now, there's quite a difference between a good breakfast potato and a great one, and that is the crispy brown exterior. So when you're talking really good latkes or really good hash browns, the Maillard reaction at work is what makes the difference between good and great. So to saute means cooking food quickly over high heat. 
usually using fat or oil as the cooking medium, and this literally means to jump in French, referring to the constant motion of the food in the pan, whether you're stirring it or shaking it. The food is lightly browned and cooked through during this process. Now, one of the tips to sautéing successfully is that all the pieces of the vegetables must be uniformly diced, um, and that is so that they cook at the same rate. So if you've got the same size pieces, they will all cook the same time together. And that's how you will avoid, often you will find that you'll get some pieces are darker than others. Some are crispy, some are soft, or some are even burnt. And this is because of the uneven sizes of your food. Searing is a next important skill. And this is You will see this in a lot of meat recipes before you put them in your slow cooker, before you put them in the oven, wherever it is. And this is very important for meat, but it can be used for vegetables as well. Searing cooks the ingredient on a very high heat for a very short time. And unlike sautéing, the food is not moved until it is fully browned. So this takes a bit of patience, which all of us have to learn is when you're putting meat into your pan to saute, uh, to sear it so you can get the brown color on the outside, leave it alone. You put it in for quite a while, and only when it moves by itself off the pan without you having to try and pry it off is it actually ready to cook, So you uh, to turn over. So you need to make sure that your heat is not too high, and it should be on about a medium heat. So what searing does not only gives the color to the food, but it actually seals in the flavor and then gives you that crusty outside and a soft, moist interior. And it's especially good when you're cooking with um, sort of tougher cup, cuts of meat and you're going to put them in the um, either the microwave or you're going to cook them in your slow cooker um, because obviously we all know the slow cooker doesn't sort of turn the food brown. It all has this uniform ick color. So that's an important thing. Then we've got browning. Browning is generally interchangeable with searing. And when it's searing, it's important to cook small batches at a time. Overcrowding the pan causes, uh, sorry, when you're browning, it's important to cook with small batches because if you overcrowd the pan, the temperature drops and you don't get a decent crust. And then you land up steaming your ingredients instead of um, getting them nice and brown. Charring is very similar to sear, except it takes it to the next level. Now, charred food is not burnt. It's almost burnt. So when you think about charred peppers for making like a chili or a pepper um, dish, especially like the bell peppers, you can char it by exposing it directly to the flame or underneath uh, the grill in your oven. And you want it to start to bubble but and blacken and then that'll be ready. But don't allow it to go too far where you get that burnt smell or the bitter taste. So we're going to take a break now. And when we come back, please let me know if there are any comments or suggestions, questions or topics you think we should cover in the show. Please let us know via Telegram on 061-895-1019. SMS us on 34519. SMSs are charged at one rand fifty. Or you can send us an email on air at highfm.com. I'm Adrian Bugatti, and when we come back, Pesach meal planning. Chalashim for chalas? 
Want to buy or find dine? Stay tuned to High FM on 101.9. Join Adrian Bagatti for Essen Fressen, Tuesday mornings from 11 a.m., where it's all about the food. Welcome back. I'm Adrian Bagatti. This is the Essen Fressen Show on High FM 101.9. And at the end of this week begins Pesach. So for most of us, you are already cleaned and shopped for Pesach and ready, and some of us are not. One of the most important things about Pesach is not only, as I spoke about two weeks ago, having a safe um, Seder COVID um, rules apply, but now you need to look at the budget. Pesach food generally costs us for eight days, the same as it would cost our entire grocery budget for the month. So we need to be more careful of that because most of us cannot afford two months worth of groceries in one month. I honestly feel that we should not have to be spending so much money on Pesach. It should not cost us a full month's grocery budget. Yes, it does when we were able to have millions of visitors. I do remember one year I counted over the eight days of having had over 200 people um, in total for those days. So, yes, it would have cost me an entire month's budget and probably more because there were so many people. But this year we should not be entertaining in that kind of scale. And therefore, I do feel that we shouldn't have to spend quite as much as we are. Now, I do know that we all need to find substitute for the sandwiches and the pasta and the rice that is often used to fill the seemingly hollow bellies of our children who are bored with nothing to do and there is no food to eat, no matter how full your fridge is. But there are other ways. Um, and there are so many books out there that I'm not going to cover that. What I am going to cover today is the Seder meals. And the question of how do you know how much food to make? We have an old joke about Jewish hostess's dilemma. And this is the dilemma. If there's no leftovers, then we didn't make enough food. And if there's too much leftover, nobody liked the food. What are you going to do? My thing is, I don't want leftover food, especially now I'm going to have to throw it out if I would have visitors um, because leftover food, you know, the, the cost, contamination risk does increase with more people touching the food. So let's start off, um, and I'm going to be talking about having 10 people for a Seder. Now, uh, once upon a time, 10 people for a Seder for me was di- only direct family. There were no guests. So this is how, you know, why I'm, I've chosen 10. It's the thing I know the best. So appetizers with a meal to follow. Now, some of these ideas do come from about the 1950s and 60s where entertaining was a very, very common thing. Um, you know, people didn't go to the movies. People didn't go to TV, watch TV. They entertained. They had people over for dinner. Um, I can remember my parents having dinner parties on a regular basis. Um, so this is where, this is an old book where I got it from, but I have done the research and it stayed the same. Even the most recent one has come up with the same amounts. So appetizers with a meal f- to follow. There should be enough for each guest to have two servings of whatever appetizers. Now they say to you, you should make about three to four different appetizers. I'm saying no. For Seder, I would say as an, a starter, I would do a salad, 
and two f- different fish, like a filter fish and chopped herring or Danish herring and chopped herring or whatever it is, two assortments of fishes and one salad that you can use. Then how do you know what how much cold drink to have? One to two glasses per person per hour. Try not to let your guests stay too long. That's my secret. But that's how we work it out. Um, I do sometimes have a bit extra because obviously people are thirsty and the seders can take a while. But there is nothing wrong with putting a nice jug of water on your table for people to drink instead of cold drink. More and more people are use, um, go moving away from sodas, so it's a good idea. Now, if you're going to have soup course, then one soup is one cup of soup is more than enough, especially if you're sticking some delicious canadal in. Now, on a group I belong to called Pesach Recipes, it's a lot of Israelis on there. And one of the things I discovered with the Israeli community is a lot of them don't do an actual meal. You have your Seder, you have your egg and salt water, and you maybe have soup and dessert. And that's about all. Um, they don't do the way we're, we've been brought up with uh, two fish, uh, like three different fishes. And then when it comes to main course, you've got two meats or, or a chicken and a meat just in case somebody doesn't like one of the other thing. If you've got guests where one person will not eat a specific thing, then make enough just for that person to not have what they're, you know, what everybody else is eating. That is all. Don't give two options. You're going to waste a lot of money and a lot of food. So for a main course, a bonus roast should be worked out at about 250 grams per person. Now, I would say that is for men and 200 grams for women. And this obviously is because you've had soup and you've had fish to start. If the roast has got a bone in, you're looking at 400 grams per person. Once again, a male with a female guest, 350 grams is the correct portion size. When you're looking at a chicken, a whole chicken with its bones, it's two pieces per person, and that works out to be about 350 grams a person. If it's just chicken pieces, then you want two pieces per person. And that weighs 250 grams. So if you're buying um, like breasts that are already deboned, you want to look at it for that price that way. Then when you're looking at side dishes, so um, if you're doing a potato, it's one medium potato per person. For the Svaradim, um, the rice is 40 grams or quarter cup. And for those of us who are still debating quinoa, Darren, you are allowed 40 grams of quinoa per person. So there you go. Vegetables like carrots or beans, 80 grams or a quarter cup. Um, so obviously the, we're not going to be serving beans at the Seder, but carrots is very common for uh, Pesach dessert, uh, Pesach vegetables, sorry. And then we look into dessert. Now, Desserts also, you don't need 300 different desserts. Um, I've chosen as in the last few years to have one sweet and one fresh dessert. So a fruit salad and an ice cream or something like that. So if you're doing ice cream or pudding, it's 200 grams per person. It's just under about a cup, um, you know, and that's per person. 
And one of the ways to not throw out so much fruit is I've also discovered that serving fruit salad, people don't want it. Rather serve your fruit sliced up that people can help themselves to slices of fruit. Just remember that with COVID, it is better to slice it up onto platters for each table of or family that you're having. Or if you're having, um, you know, a lot of family and you're having one table, then rather pre-dish it in the kitchen onto a plate for each, like each person gets their own helping in their own plate rather than um, you dishing up and then passing it around. Now, this is dinner for 10. So you want 20 pieces or slices of gefilte fish, about a half a cup of chopped herring or Danish herring, and 20 pieces of kechel. It works out to about eight soft drinks or two and a half liters of soup, two to three kilos of roast or three and a half kilos of chicken. Um, if it's got the bone in, it's an average of three chickens. You want half a kilo of grain or starch vegetable and half a kilo of another vegetable. And then your dessert is two liters of ice cream and about two and a half kilos of fruit. Please don't be worried if everything is eaten. You have, and you've got like almost no leftovers. If everybody cleared their plates, you've made enough food and it was delicious. Now we're going to go on to the important part, which is the Seder wine or the grape juice. You need on average 360 mils of grape juice or wine per person per night. That'll give you the correct measurements for the four cups of wine. Matzah also works out to about a half a box per person. This is based on the smaller slices of matzah. For your egg and salt water, half an egg is enough if you are serving a three-course meal afterwards. You do want your uh, guests to remain a little hungry. Once again, having too too many leftovers can mean that you made too much food and it is once again, wasted, and you've wasted quite a bit of money. I hope this made your Yom Tov meal planning easier and which means eat with health. If you have any comments or suggestions, questions or topics that you think we should cover in the show, please let us know via Telegram on 61 you can SMS us on 34519. SMSs are charged at 150. Or send us an email to onair at chayfm.com. You're listening to Adrian Bugatti, and this is the Essen Fresen Show. We're talking now. We've just finished the Seder meal. Um, let's find out what kosher updates we've got from around the world. Chalashim for chalas? Want to bry or fine dine? Stay tuned to High FM on 101.9. Join Adrian Bugatti for SN Fresen, Tuesday mornings from 11 a.m., where it's all about the food. Right, the Kashrut alert for the moment. There aren't too many um, actual Kashrut updates, uh, but there are quite a few um, sort of reminders and health and safety rewards. So the first one is... Um, the 19th of March, so this is from Hassan uh, Sofer, and it's about Maxim Cookies, M-A-X-O-M, and they were incorrectly labeled badats, but they are not actually even kosher. Um, these are a product from Russia. 
So Canada uh, recalled a kosher food um, because of an allergen, and that is the Co-op Gold Pure Brand Almond Butter, and it was undeclared uh, cashews in there. So you can't mix your almonds and your cashews. So it's pure cashew nut butter and pure almond butter have been mixed up a little bit. Um, then from the year that's kosher, we've got Taim locations that have dropped their kosher certification. This is in New York City and Washington, D.C. Um, so the Mediterranean restaurant chain Taim um, has decided they are not going to go kosher. Um, and they are strictly vegetarian. So that's, um, you know, okay. Oh, right. So they are now no longer uh, vegetarian either. So that is Flatiron, Financial District, Long Island City, and DuPont Circle um, that are not kosher. The ones in Nolita, New York City, West Village, New York City, and Georgetown, D.C. are still kosher. So you need to be that. Um, then Light Life, Light Foods Advisory is once again no longer kosher because of the change to their um, recipes. And they are now serving savory chicken and veggie meatballs. Then in Israel, again, uh, the OU does not certify La Gaulle Beret de Barrette, which looks like they are some kind of flower. I'm not sure it's in Hebrew. So unfortunately I cannot translate that for you. Uh, Pix yogurt in New York. That is also says OU. It is not kosher. So please be aware of that if you are in America. And then a recall of organic traditions, dried bitter apricot kernels. And this is because of a natural found toxin. Camille Bloch Swiss chocolates with MK the MK wishes to inform the public that Camille Bloch's Swiss milk chocolate are, have been marked parav, but they are actually dairy. And then rough translation, thank you to the Jerusalem, the Israeli Kashrut um, alerts, the Jerusalem Kosher News. The certificate uh, um, for some of these places have been removed, and that's Peri Habustan in Moida Inn, uh, Hamuzay Ochut, in Kfar Marar, Chumas Paul Shemen Zait in Kfar Saba, and Tozeret Haaretz, which is catering deli and restaurant in Netanya. Um, and then kosher counterfeit wax citrus for citrus fruits was imported, and it is made in Spain without a um, kosher supervisor, so it is not kosher. So please, and then from Top Factory, top brand peeled fruits that are not produced in the top brand, the top fruit factory in Baka Algarbia are not kosher. Um, and then Betlin Zedek Machitzei Hadat, their peach fused flavored tea from the Coca-Cola factory is also not kosher. Um, so please be aware of that. There are no kashrut updates at the moment from the South African Beth Din, so we're good to go for that. For those who um, have the the Pesach book from Pick and Pay, you will find a list of ingredients in there 
that you can use without your Pesach extra. So please read those very carefully. Please also read the labels when you are doing your shopping, especially if you are an Ashkenaz Jew. You need to be very aware that some products are brought in because we do have a large Sephardi population. So there are spices and treats like bamba, which we fight about every year with my daughter because it's her favorite snack. Um, they are not kosher for Pesach if you are an Ashkenazi Jew. They are kitniot. So you'll just have to wait until after Pesach to enjoy them. I want to wish everybody a kosher le Pesach and a simple, easy, safe and not too expensive Seder and Pesach time. And when we speak again, Pesach will be halfway done. So enjoy your Seder meals, ladies. Don't go overboard. You want to enjoy your Seder meals as well as your guests. So please remember to not go mad with all the food. And enjoy. I am Adrian Bogarty, and this was the SN Fresen Show for High FM 101.9. Once again, if you've got any comments or suggestions, questions or topics you think we should cover in the show, let us know via Telegram on 61 8951019 SMS us on 34519 SMSs are charged at 1 rand 50 or send us an email on air at highfm.com you will find a recipe using cumin on the website from me for this week's show thank you and goodbye till next week <laughs>